Bem-vindo, gente. Welcome back to another episode of the Brazilian Dragon Podcast for another edition of Si Se Puede. Here, we're talking about Latine and Hispanic representation all month long on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast, especially when it comes to American media. Now, today, I'm very excited to bring you a conversation with the great Katia Martin. Uh, Katia Martin is an actor, screenwriter, producer based out of New York. She may best be known for her role as Juana Sanchez in ABC and Hulu's Promised Land. Originally from Spain, Katia is a champion for diverse storytelling and is passionate about the collaborative process and bringing marginalized voices to life on screen. Now in this conversation, Katia and I chat about what it means to be a cult third culture kid, the importance of dialect coaches on a multilingual set, and how strong advocacy from the top executives empowers the rest of the creatives and collaborators on a film set to bring their best work to the craft. Now, I'm very excited to get you this conversation with Katya, and I hope you all enjoy this lovely chat that we had. All right, everyone, I'm here with the wonderful Katya Martin. Katya, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you, Felipe? I'm good. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? To the listeners? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Katia Martin. I'm an actress, producer, and screenwriter, um, currently based in New York. I grew up uh, between Spain and California, and now I'm, I'm an adopted New Yorker. I just, I just uh, turned 10 years here, so I, I like to think of myself as a New Yorker, even though I don't know <laughs> what other people might say. <laughs> Well, congrats on the 10 years. That's a big achievement in living somewhere. I feel like that's like, you, that means you, you love it because otherwise you would have moved probably. Uh, yeah. But you spent time like in California last year for Promised Land, which you played mm -hmm. Juana or uh, Young Letty, uh, depending on how people want to refer to your character. Uh, <laughs> and that's where we met. And again, thank you for the avocado socks. I love them. Uh, oh, yay. <laughs> yeah. You're very um, welcome. But yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, so you act, you produce, you write, um, but you're also a big activist in terms of like Latine storytelling. I remember when you, uh, when Promised Land was airing, you did a podcast talking about what it means to be a third culture kid. And that mm -hmm. was like the first time I heard that term. Uh, so yeah, for the listeners, if you want to define it because I really love that term thinking about it from that podcast because I never heard it before you said that oh yeah well th thank you for for listening to that other interview that I did I third the term third culture kid is something that I I, I had never heard of that growing up but I found it um when I when I first started at NYU it was it was something that came up at a, a lecture or something that I um that I attended and it, and it just clicked with me um, because essentially what it means is it's a description of someone who grew up with either one parent from a, a culture and one parent from another culture or who grew up um, between cultures in different countries um, or both and so for myself that was something that really res and, and then really resonated because as someone who grew up surrounded by multiple cultures you then as a third culture child kind of take a little bit from both and make your own. Um, and there was something that I always felt growing up where, you know, I was, I was too Spanish for my American family. I was too American for my Spanish family. Uh, I lived for um, like several summers in, in Paris and had many French friends and there was something about their culture that resonated. And then like I worked on several projects with, um, with some Italian filmmakers and there was something that felt familiar. Uh, in the last several years, I've spent a lot of time in, in Mexico and there's so, like also something familiar there. And so there's like all of these things that like within a third culture kid's identity, they just kind of attach themselves or latch themselves to different cultures to make their own, I guess. Yeah. Is, is and I, kind of what that means. 
I love that when I heard it because that was, I never really understood how to describe myself as someone mm-hmm. who like grew up Brazilian but in America. Like my parents mm-hmm. came from Brazil, and then I grew up, and I was like, oh, I feel strongly attached to my Brazilian heritage, but also I grew up in America, so it's like I grew up with two cultures, kind of like in between. So that was mm-hmm. uh, really crystallizing to hear that term uh, for myself. Um, but, uh, obviously this podcast is about representation in terms of Hispanic and Latina people. Um, and I wanted to ask, like, if you had a recollection of the time where you were able to resonate with a story that, uh, represented you on American TV or film or kind of the inverse, if there was like a time that you realized, oh, this is very unrepresentative of me Mm. and, uh, it makes me kind of uncomfortable as a viewer like the earliest memory you might have um wow that's that's a good question I'm I I think I think for a long time there was you know I I moved to New York when I was 17 and I started auditioning pretty much when I got here even though I was going to school um for communications and film producing um but also doing um doing auditions and, and acting on the side and there was, at, at first, a lot of the roles, or, I mean, at first, like the first several years, most of the roles that I was going out for were just kind of girl next door, American, uh, American, like girls from the United States roles. And there, and there was something about it that just, I couldn't quite um, relate to and and like it was a, it was a lot more work I guess acting wise to figure out like okay where did this character come from what are what are her cultural um values and backgrounds and it wasn't until I think several years ago when I started seeing more like Hispanic and Latina representation in the roles I was going out for that I felt like oh this is I can bring more of myself to these roles um this is someone who speaks multiple languages or this is someone who grew up in an environment um, where multiple languages were spoken or um, comes from a community where where the sense of community is very strong which is something that I think is is sometimes lacking in a lot of um, American culture like the whole idea of suburbia and things being very spread out um, was was very strange for me when when I came to the U.S. as a teenager Um, so I think it I don't know if it was one role specifically but more like just the types of roles that I was initially going out for and then the switch when all of a sudden it was ah there's and not to say that that this is completely changed because there's still a lot of work to do but I I have felt in the last couple of years that there are more roles that I'm now going out for that there's more room for that multicultural multiculturality I don't know if I'm making up that word but (laughs) there's there's more room for for that diversity in the role it's not just like the the girl next door that you've always that you've always stereotypically seen on screen but she can be more dimen- multi-dimensional now um which is exciting uh what of like the last few years have you seen in terms of like the shift for more diverse storytelling in these roles like do you think there's like um in like is it more creatives behind the scenes or is it more of the like Uh, people behind the project pushing for these stories that might just not be part of the culture but they realize the importance of representation Mm. um I I think it's both I I think there's a lot of work to be done on on both ends um but I I do think we have more and more um I guess both allies and um representation of um Hispanics and Latinos behind the behind the scenes I mean like you have people like Matt Lopez or um, mm-hmm. Gloria Calderon Calet who are showrunners of their own shows and are just getting to tell the stories that they want. Um, and and at the same time, you have you know more and more networks that are that are coming behind and creatives at those networks who are who are supporting these um, these stories. I think one of the most special things for me about Promised Land, for example, specifically, was that it was uh, it was a a show and a story that was that really did highlight Hispanic and Latino culture, but it wasn't about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess kind of maybe a, a very direct contrast to that might be something like Narcos, where it's 
it's very much about the like not stereotype because it's based it's based on on you know true actual history but but you have the the latino world and characters and are are the drug dealers you know are are the kind of bad guys um that are fascinating to watch and it's a great story but at the same time it just reinforces the stereotype that we've always kind of seen of um immigrants or people who who are first generation being either involved with some sort of crime or being um the house worker and i think what was really special about promised land is that it 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 didn't do that it was about a family it was a family drama and the family just happened to be from mexico and that and that did um that did influence them as characters and it did influence the storyline um and how they react together culturally and, and you know and, and the differences between you know first generation versus second generation um but it wasn't about that um which i, I think i think it's exciting to see just more representation in in non-stereotypical ways in film and television coming up is what i'm hoping for at least I hope so, too. And you mentioned uh, Gloria Calderon, Kellen, and another one of these examples that I always love is uh, One Day at a Time, where it was like mm -hmm. about a family, but like it was a Latino family. So we got to see mm -hmm. them living their regular life and like the cultural aspects that they brought in, each character would bring in, but it was just kind of a regular family sitcom. If you look mm -hmm. past, like, and just look at it, like if there's a log line, yeah, it'll say they're Cuban, but that's not the big part of it is just a family mm -hmm. sitcom that was fantastic to watch and I miss it. Uh, I, mm -hmm. That was one of my comfort shows and still is, but mm -hmm. I wish we got more episodes as well mm -hmm. as Promised Land. Like um, that is something that I feel like I've noticed is that like a lot of the shows uh, about like uh, Hispanic and Latina people are uh, like not given the same opportunities as American shows mm -hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's like, I mean, I, I told Rolanda this, this is something that I felt very strongly about, but Promised Land, I felt like it was set up not to fail, but it didn't give this, get the same chance to shine because they put it at 10 p.m. against the Olympics <laughs> at the start, and then they moved it to Hulu without giving it much of a chance to breathe and attract an audience. And that's just my personal opinion, but I feel like a lot of like these projects that I am excited about, that I'm passionate about, Gordita Chronicles, uh, mm -hmm. Batgirl even like all these mm -hmm. uh, Latina driven stories uh, aren't given the same opportunities to shine and that's always disappointing to me um, and I hope that we see more stories in the future yeah it, it is a I mean it, it's 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 frustrating for sure and I I mean from my perspective as an actor it's kind of you feel very um I don't want to, for some reason, the only term that's coming to mind is useless and useless isn't the word that I'm trying to find, but like, like uh, helpless, helpless is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Um, where like there's, we can really only do as much promo as is in our capacity. And especially if we don't have the support of, of the network or the studio, it, it's kind of a mute point if we're, you know, doing Instagram lives, but we can only kind of reach the audience that, that we have. <laughs> they were so fun I had a great time on them but yeah. it's also if if we are trying to get these shows seen on a national and international level it does I mean marketing is there's a reason why people and get billions and billions of dollars in their marketing budget because you you need that <laughs> yeah. um, and without that that support it's it's very difficult to I think crack that code especially with how much content is being produced um nowadays um so it, it it is frustrating i think i think more and more though it's unfortunately something that we just have to keep on chipping yeah. away at um you know having these shows getting critically acclaimed and, and the people who do watch them have giving them such great amazing reviews and I, it just goes to show that it's not that it's it's bad content it's just not being seen yeah um it's as frustrating as it is i i hope it's just a matter of time but before it really only takes one you know it, it takes one show to just crack that glass ceiling and then everyone's going to want a show like that you know it's mm -hmm. it's um so it's 
ahí vamos poco a poco. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah, like I I like what you said about how it's not a reflection of the show; it's just a reflection of the people who like the number of people who tune in because uh, mm -hmm. you promising was like nominated for some Imagine Awards, which is like a big deal, and like I think it was like a very well done show. It was. Uh, like, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but even if I hadn't worked on the show, I maintain the fact that this is a show that I would have found and I would have loved because it's very much a show that I would watch. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was important, like, to see that kind of representation on screen, not only that, but also, like, I, like, the small details, like the sound design, like, I loved all the aspects of the show. And it was such a bummer when I found out that it wasn't going to be renewed, but let's just keep supporting all these people that were involved with it. I mean, Father of the Bride was great as well that Matt mm -hmm. did and continue mm -hmm. to support the cast and crew and whatever they do. Um, mm -hmm. But speaking of like people and culture from uh, Latinx and uh, Hispanic backgrounds, uh, what are some of your favorite portrayals in media that you've seen, like um, positive portrayals? Ooh. Um Well, I guess, are you asking, like, in uh, American context in American specifically? Media, or? But then if you have, like, any ancillary, like, non-American-centric media, you're welcome to share those as well. Because I, like, even just for my own consumption list, <laughs> like, if it's a movie and TV show that I'm going to add um, my notes right here. <laughs> um, you know, this is hard for me to answer because I think with in within the realm of like what you would be like shows or tv or shows or, or movies from the united states i i can't really think of like coco i loved coco yeah. <laughs> um even though that's that's not live action obviously uh i i i almost feel like more than shouting out a, a u.s based show or I, I would really encourage listeners to watch more international films because mm -hmm. I think those are, I think one of the problems with that that Hispanic and Latin creators are, are facing in terms of creating content is is also this, I, I guess like the, the stereotype of what it means to be Hispanic or Latin or, um, or Latino and Latina, like the kind of, oh, you have to, this is how you look, this is how you talk, and this is your skin color, and these are your, like, your uh, facial features um, in order to be under this category, this, like, network checkmark. And and that's not true. I mean, like you saw in Promised Land, like, all of us in the cast come from very different backgrounds, very different um, cultural roots. And really the one thing that we shared was, was like the love for the story and some sort of relationship to the idea of being an immigrant and, and having those, um, those um, like family ties to another country. And, and there are some things that overlap culturally in terms of like the sense of community, the sense of family, the language, but even within the language there, like Mexicans speak differently than Puerto Ricans and, and you know, Cubans and, and Colombians. And so I think one of the, the tough things about um, Hispanic representation in media in the United States is that we're still grappling with how to show that diversity within the Spanish and, and Latin, or the Hispanic and Latin communities. Um, and so that's why I, it, it's hard for me to pinpoint like one character or one show um, in the United States that, that has been able to do that because it's, mm -hmm. I feel like over, overall, and this, I, I'm hoping it's it's changing, but I think overall there's still this like, oh it, yeah, she she just speaks Spanish. Like, can you just speak Spanish? And I'm like, well, yes, yes, I speak Spanish, but do I need to speak Spanish? Like, is she from Mexico? Is she from Cuba? Like, I'm not going to speak Spanish the same way. And mm -hmm. how long is she? You know, so there's I think there's still a lack of understanding of that. It you're not gonna if you're casting someone who's from Europe, being French and being German are very different things. Um, and and so so I think if you like watching more and in international films might might help people just start to get inspired by by the different stories that come out of um, different parts of Latin America and, and Spain and you know Spanish speaking countries. I appreciate your transparency with that because that is a thing like uh, and it can be something that a lot of people don't think about like one of my favorite things 
that I learned on Promised Land that I had no clue happened on sets. And I don't know if mm-hmm. it's actually that common, but the fact that you all had Manuel, who was a char- who played a character on the show, but he uh, worked also as the dialect coach to make sure mm-hmm. your accents were more authentic to Mexican accents from the 80s. And I thought mm-hmm. that was such like an important but small touch that I had never considered uh, being part. Like I know people... Like I had always heard of like dialect coach in terms of like if an mm-hmm. American actor is going to do something in uh, like a British character or like mm-hmm. an Australian character. But like that little small detail to make the nuances of Mexican accents uh, be more realized as opposed to like, like you said, a lot of the actors were Latino of different types of uh, backgrounds like Mexican, Cuban, uh, Rolando, he said he's from uh, Ecuador. So like mm-hmm. we got all these different backgrounds, right? But then we focused all the uh, energy into creating the dialect from uh, this time period of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was such like a little detail that I didn't realize happened on sets. And I don't know how common it is, but that was something that excited me. Yeah, well, it's, it's not common and it's definitely not the norm. That was something that I know Matt Matt fought for very hard and and we we really wanted I mean my first question when I booked the role was are they going to have a dialect coach because if they're not it's going to be my responsibility to have to find one for myself and yeah. and you know I was lucky enough and, and Andres and Rolando and I were, were lucky enough that Matt Matt pushed for that and he and he found literally the best person for the job um, but it's it's not something that's common and having so because Manuel didn't only translate the the scripts in a way that that reflected how these characters might have spoken in that time period but he also was he was like our cultural coach and it wasn't only how we spoke but it was it was the way that the phrases were put together or like the the slang like he brought the slang that that and that was one of the things that was so special when when the show came out was you know people would come up to me and and be like oh my god that line in episode three like my tia would say stuff like that to me and and I like and my my tia is from like from Mexico City and that and that that's just that's that's so cool that you incorporated that um because yeah because other otherwise it's it's just a hodgepodge of and you know maybe it's something that a lot of people won't notice if if they're not familiar with Spanish but it's something that I think a lot of people who do speak Spanish will notice um and and so that was that was we were really lucky to to have that and it's authentic to the experience of the characters Mm -hmm. you were portraying uh like you like the first shot of promised land is you climbing over the wall in the 80s in the late 80s and Mm -hmm. i thought i mean spoilers if anyone's not seen it which shame on you if you haven't (laughs) seen it but uh like it shows the authenticity and allowed and i appreciated that like you uh would have gone and found your own dialect coach to create that authenticity to the character um, and the craft that you are bringing to life uh, with uh, your own, with, if they hadn't provided it for you. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think that's something that unfortunately, like um, unless you're working on a very, very high budget, high profile film, it's, you often won't get that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's often yeah again up to up to you the actor to be like okay well this part of my salary is gonna have to go to this person to train me if if I want it to do well and be authentic um, in in the same way that you would get you know a, a personal trainer uh, if you had to you know do a lot of fight scenes or or yeah. things like that like um, those sort of cultural nuances is I think it's something that kind of often gets just not not addressed um, but but it should be. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask the inverse of my earlier question. Like, what are some of the most harmful and frustrating portrayals of our people and culture in mm. American media? Like, I know you mentioned, like, the lack of, like, positive representation that you mm-hmm. saw, but I'm sure you can think of a number of handful uh, frustrating por- uh, characters or portrayals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down to the the token or the stereotype rules right like the 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 maid who who like does xyz and you've seen the same exact character 
over and over again in different shows or the drug dealer who's like this kind of tough guy that you've also seen like you could just cut copy and paste him in different um different uh uh different projects um i'm trying to think like i feel like all of these examples will will come to mind as soon as we get off this call um but I'm, i'm trying to think of of one that would have like broken that kind of broken that stereotype or um you know there's um mm, yeah i see see, i'm sorry i'm like like specifically coming to mind but it's it's more of this like like i have all these images in my mind and i can't remember what show they're from and that's the problem i think that's that's where the they all blend is. together like, and yeah. together i'm like i can see the maid outfit like you know the stereotypical maid outfit i can see the like the kind of like for lack of a better term like cholo outfit that it's like okay this is someone they like they just decided he was from la even though this movie is taking place in like in new york and we're just we're putting on these like specific things on them and calling it a day like this is this is it um and and it's tough because i think there there are certain things like like colors i think colors are something that a lot of especially in latin america like there are parts of the culture that are very vibrant very colorful but suddenly in united states's portrayal of of uh like of hispanics and 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 latin characters suddenly like they're the ones with like the bold, brassy, bright pink dress or the bold, brassy, like orange shirt where it's like, oh, yes, maybe there's a context where this character might wear this. But at the same time, I, you, she doesn't match. And, you know, like it, it's, it's almost calling too much attention to it in a way that's just unrealistic. Um, so I think those those are the things that feel the most harmful when it just feels like this blatant, like, oh, we have to make sure everyone knows she's Latina. And so she has to wear this kind of a thing. Um, and it, I mean, I guess it, it's kind of the same as, I guess the opposite of that would like, if a European production were trying to make sure everyone knew that uh, this house was an American, like a household from the United States. So we're just going to put um, like American flags and hot dogs everywhere. Like that, you know, or like, okay, this is a Mexican household. So everyone's going to be eating tacos all the time you know, like those, those sort of things are like, oh, I guess, I guess, um, like, uh, I, I don't know, just having those like, oh, 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 they must be eating burritos. And you're like, well, okay, actually, if they're from Mexico, they probably wouldn't be eating burritos, because that is something that <laughs> is, is like, not even from Mexico, Mexico, like those, those sort of things that they just like, don't even do their research. I think that's this long winded answer is coming down to that is like when, when it, there's no research, and there's no care. Um, I think that's when it becomes the most harmful because it's just reusing the same tropes. I feel like American creatives often try to use these like shorthands to connect mm-hmm. with American audiences. But like like you said, a lot of these aren't even factual, like the burrito one. Like the, they mm-hmm. like try to like showcase that it's a Latino family, but then it's like, oh, here's the shorthand and you understand burritos. That's like Latino. So, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. Mexican. And it's, it's, easier for them to like wash away a lot of like the care to just mm-hmm. like focus on this quick whatever they need like whether it's a scene or like the storyline plot line whatever and they just try to wash away the the delicate parts of telling showing uh mm-hmm. different cultures mm-hmm. um I-, I wanted to ask you like in terms of you mentioned like that you've been auditioning since you were 17 in new york but um what has your experience as an actor and also like as a storyteller, because you also produce and write, um, ha- like what has your experience as a Latina woman been and a Hispanic woman been like any additional obstacles that like your white peers might not even consider that or like some of them might not consider because I don't want to say all white peers would mm-hmm. not even think about these. But like if you wanted to share any specific experiences that you have dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I think that it kind of goes back to what we were saying about the being in this weird in between as the yeah. 
if we're, if we're choosing the, the uh, third culture kid term kind of being not fully one thing, not fully another. Like I, I present very white. I like, I, that's <laughs> kind of my natural complexion. I mean, I have yeah. kind of a bit of an olive tone and I get very tan in the summer, but other than that, like I, I look very white. And, and so I, I think, you know, like I was saying where I used to go out for these, a lot of these like girl next door kind of roles, there was just something that, I was like white, but still like a little bit too ethnically ambiguous to really have grown up in like Michigan, you know? <laughs> and so, so there was always, I just always felt like there was just, I didn't really fit in, in what was, what I, what I felt the casting directors or the producers were like expecting this character to be or, or look like. Um, I, so I, I think that's, that's the main the main obstacle is just figuring out like what are the roles that not so much that I could play because I, I think as an actor that that's one of the most fun and challenging things that we get to do is, is play people that aren't like us and, and get to tell stories about, you know, and put ourselves in situations that like me as Katya, I would never do this, but Juana gets to do this or Leti yeah. gets to do this, you know? Um, but but it's more the like having other people take that chance to let you represent the character that in a, in a different way than might have originally been visualized. Um, I think that's that was has been the main thing that I've had to grapple with. And and as an actress, and I think as a, on the storyteller side, a lot of the stories that I've always gravitated towards have always been stories about people who who are from different places and kind of the culture clashes that happen when um, when different languages are spoken or um, you know different cultures clash um, and I think I think it's been challenging to find support around those projects um, just because it's something that you know people here in the United States are not used to reading subtitles and they don't want to have to work very hard um, when watching something and so if they get a script where there's the characters are speaking English, Spanish, and French. It's kind of like, wait, so like, how are we doing this? Like, are there subtitles? I don't know about, you know, can they just speak English, but have maybe like a different accent? And you're like, well, that kind of defeats the whole point, but okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think just getting people to think outside the box and be, be comfortable um, saying yes to projects that are unknowns I think that's that's where the, the biggest roads roadblocks have have been. Uh, in terms of like, I think it's very important that you mentioned like the subtitle thing because that's one of my biggest frustrations <laughs> when I try to recommend like Brazilian movies specifically, but like mm -hmm. any kind of international feature. And then my uh, friends from America, not just some of my white friends, but like a lot of my other friends are like, oh, but I don't have to do I don't want to have to do work when I watch a movie. And like, I mean watching a movie is like subconscious work sometimes that you don't even realize mm -hmm. is happening like you're you're still like consuming a project and like trying to understand and you're thinking about it critically a lot of times so just add the subtitles and I think a lot of like the most beautiful stories are stories people will never witness because they have this aversion mm -hmm. to subtitles um one of my favorite movies is Central Station which is a Brazilian movie and it's so good and I try to recommend it to everyone but they're like subtitles but um I I don't remember what I was saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, I, I think that's like very important. But I also think uh, that uh, storytellers often like try to, like I said, like make it simpler uh, mm -hmm. for audiences in whatever way they think is best. And in terms of like the future stories that you see, what do you want uh, storytellers or like production companies or whoever's creating the content, what do you want them to focus on if they're going to tell Latina and Hispanic stories and also what are some things about like the culture that you think are underrepresented in the media that you think people should know more about like uh, a lot of my guests have said like we're a very like happy crowd like it's very like stereotypical that we love to dance but there's like a lot of fun that we like to have a lot of our stories mm -hmm. are the struggle but I wanted to see mm -hmm. if you had any like additional uh, mm -hmm. hopes to see in the future. Mm -hmm. um Okay, so so first first answer to your first question um, of like what what do I hope 
uh, creators and producers will will do will like do in terms of focus what, on what or like do in the future like it can be like um, behind the scenes it can be like in terms of the stories they tell but what do you hope to see mm-hmm. in the industry in the next five ten years whether it's on screen or like in terms of the sets that you mm-hmm. uh, work on or hear about um I think it's kind of a two-part answer I, I think one and this this is like a very hard ask of of producers and networks I know but taking risks um I I think one of one of the main problems with um like what movies and tv shows get made or not made especially here in the United States is is money right it's mm-hmm. it's very hard to find money to fund your project um whereas you know in in Europe and I think in, I mean, I know, for example, like in Mexico, there's a lot of government support towards filmmaking and, and same in Europe. Like you can, there are just these amazing grants and these amazing um, public funds that help fund the arts. We don't have that here, obviously. Um, and and so all, you know, you have to attach big names to your small indie film because otherwise you won't get the investor to trust that this movie is going to do well, you know? And so I think, having that trust in in new emerging filmmakers and in stories that might just be different than what you've seen in the last several years I think that's that's really important um and at the same time bringing um bringing more diversity behind the camera from the start um I think is very important one thing that I it's hard for me to grapple with sometimes is these like situations where I I feel like whether it's um, I I think it happened a lot with women like when in the Me Too movement and I think it's it's happening some sometimes on and off with um, with like people of color and and um, like BIPOC, BIPOC creators is being like oh we need like we need a female showrunner because we have no mm-hmm. shows right now with female showrunners. So let's take this woman who has been only ever been in one writer's room and we're going to make her a showrunner, which is amazing that she's getting this opportunity. But then if something goes wrong, it doesn't, it, the, the question is never, oh no, should we have given her more experience? It's, oh no, should we hire female showrunners? Like this just was a disaster and we lost so much money and, and this woman can't do this job. I, I think it's so. I, I think it's very important to 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 train people from the bottom up, like like hire more diversity as assistants, as you know, as PAs, as you know, in writers' room assistants, um, and and let give them the opportunity to grow and and then make mistakes along the way versus thrusting them into these huge roles that they're not ready for both like whether it's on the creative side or on the technical side, whether it's like in the camera department or, you know, at really any role. Um, I think really opening the doors for more mentorship and more um, just more growth opportunities in general from the ground up is really important because otherwise it's, we're, we're going to be taking one step forward, two steps back for much longer, I think. Um, yeah. And uh... I have, spent so much time on that question I forgot what the second question yeah Uh, just to add on to what you're saying that's something that me and my friend Gabby discussed in a previous episode is that Mm -hmm. like there's like not enough mentors that like Mm. like mentorship opportunities are so rare but like because the positions are so limited or have been so limited in the past for like people of color and like in our case like Latina and Hispanic storytellers and mentors like there's not a lot of spaces for people to learn from people higher above because like you mm-hmm. mentioned with that showrunner example is like they just thrust them into the position without giving them a chance to learn the ropes and like grow um mm-hmm. so that's like something that i hope to see as we continue to see slowly more and more opportunities like hopefully there's like more mentorship opportunities as well from people who can connect with our cultural experiences as well as our mm. uh, aspirations as storytellers and creatives and mm-hmm. technical directors of projects as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of the other question, uh, it was like, what do you want like non-Latine and non-Hispanic audiences mm. to understand most about our people and cultures through the mm-hmm. American media that they consume? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think it would be really cool to get to see more of those differences and those contrasts within the same stories. I think, I mean, there was like a little bit of it in, in Narcos where you have like the Colombian cartels and then you, you have the Narcos Mexico and then at some points they cross, but you don't, again, like those storylines don't really lend themselves to anything other than kind of the drama of the of the crime, which is great for one certain thing, but you know, maybe not for others. And so I think, it, like, like, what do conversations look like within like a Mexican family when the girl brings her Puerto Rican boyfriend home? Like, what kind of dynamics are there within the Lat Latine Hispanic community that like that are different? And and what are, and what are the and what are similar? Like, like you mentioned dancing. I that's something like on Promised Land. We always had music playing and we always mm -hmm. were moving and dancing and like that is something that we really share. And so, I think being able to show show the things that that we share and also the things that we don't share and just make it more part of the conversation how like just how how there is this diversity within the the label latin a hispanic um culture um i think i think that would be really really cool <laughs> and just to talk about promise and like that just thinking about it like i am very appreciative of what matt did and bringing in terms of like the high end people in terms of production, like he brought in a lot of like mm -hmm. Latina and Hispanic directors and uh, writers as well, like a lot mm -hmm. of, and obviously the cast, but uh, I noticed there were a lot of like, even like below the line employees that were Latino mm -hmm. or uh, Hispanic as well, like a lot of the PA. So uh, I don't know if that part was by design if each individual department sought out people who were Latina, but it was awesome to see that representation on a set like that, mm -hmm. like. I felt like there was a lot, like it was the most comfortable I felt like I could be on set in terms of like around the people just because it was like, oh, a lot of people versus some of the past shows, which I enjoyed my experiences there as well, but it was a lot more white people. Um, so mm -hmm. that was something that I appreciate about Promised Land is that it felt more representative of the show we were making, like seeing mm -hmm. all these talented people of color and especially a lot of like Latina and Hispanic uh, people working on this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I am assuming it was by design, because I think it yeah. would be very hard for it to have been a coincidence. Um, but it was something that <clears throat> it, it felt so seamless. And, and there was just something so comforting and special about, you know, being able to talk to our AD or our second AD in Spanish, and then, yeah. and, you know, and, and get kind of stay in that language and then be able to go back and forth like that's I think at least for all of us in the cast and I think I can really I can't speak for I can't speak for us necessarily but I I, I think one of the things we we shared most about how amazing of an experience this was was that was the feeling that the not only the cast but the entire set felt very much like a family and felt very um just very in sync and um, I think for the, for the most part, it was a very special story for a lot of us on the set, uh, not only the actors or not only the director or the showrunner. Um, so that was that was really, really cool. And I I think I felt most drawn to that because that's that's how I grew up. Like so many of the like adults and friends of, um, of my parents and and even people within my own family, like we. I, I grew up just hearing different languages and hearing people speaking differently and, and being able to go back and forth between languages and because you communicate differently, right? Like you, for someone who's multilingual, you know that you, you just, you just change. There's something in your personality that might come out differently if you're speaking Spanish versus English versus, versus um, Portuguese. Like it's, there there's just there's there are traits and there are things that you can't express in one verse language versus the other and so being in an environment where people understand that was was so cool like it was it was so special and there was like just some small moments that like i got to witness as a pa there um like there was a scene where they were filming in the in the pool set and there was like mm -hmm. there was a slow moment and it was like cecilia and maria and augusto and they were like it felt like kind of like a way that the kids would like talk to their mom and like mm -hmm. kind of like make fun of like roast the mom a little bit but like mm -hmm. it was just like it felt very authentic to like the Latino experiences I've been around mm -hmm. and that was like 
um, very fun to see just like this, the behind the scenes moments and how authentically mm-hmm. uh, proud everyone was of their heritage and their culture. That, Like you said, there was always music playing. Like uh, Miguel always had his speaker and mm-hmm. um, like even in the flashback scenes, like there was always music and a lot of fun to be had. Um, and I just, I'm so glad that that's a show I got to work on uh, because I really enjoyed getting to see all of you perform. And then I loved watching the show and I've rewatched it already multiple times. Like I, I it's like a comfort show. Um, and like I said, like so many aspects, like the color and uh, the music design, everything, like all these small little details, I think created such this beautiful show that I wish we got to see more of, but unfortunately i'll have to just live with these characters in the 10 episodes we got which were 10 beautiful episodes um before we wind things down i wanted to ask if you have anything to promote any where people can find you um anything that you want to share like any like social media as well um and then also like i know uh we mentioned that you don't really have any that come to mind immediately but if you have any Latino stories, uh, whether they're international or American, that you want audiences to check out if they've never heard of it, that you want to use this time to not only amplify your own uh, things going on, but this story as well uh, that you have in mind. Uh, Feel free to share any of that. Uh, Personally, I mean, right now I'm I'm kind of taking (laughs) a bit of a break. I um, I have coming up I was on Godfather of Harlem for the season three that I think is coming out in January I think um I just have kind of a, a small part there but Yul Vasquez who's also in Promised Land is also in the show uh, so if you you want to you want to he's been everywhere him. lately like I like oh, oh, that's he, Yule. He, like I was watching Severance that, that like, oh my god this is everything. Yule oh yeah yeah that man is in everything um but if you want to see a couple uh a couple Promised Land cameos in in that um you can tune into that in January um, I'm, I'm writing at the moment. I have, um, two projects, one that I'm currently pitching with, uh, my writing partner and another one that I'm kind of resurrecting after a year of just being in, in promised land mindset. And now I'm, I'm getting back into it. Um, in terms of movies, um, to promote that aren't mine, I mean, there, um, there's a, two Mexican films that, uh, came out like in the last two, well, one of them. I don't know what the distribution, I just saw it at Tribeca Film Festival, but I thought it, it's it's a horror film. It's called Huesera, um, but it's, it's, it's so good. I, I think especially as a woman, like it just, um, it speaks to this kind of idea and pressure and terror around ch- childbearing and having a child. Um, and it was a really beautiful, um, I think it was fir- first time feature film um, that came out, I think it premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. Um, also, films like, like Ya No Estoy Aquí that came out, uh, I think, two or three years ago, or maybe it came out during the pandemic. Sorry, the pandemic has warped my, yeah. my sense of time. Um, but that's on, on Netflix, and that's a really, really beautiful story. Um, I'm trying to think of any others that come to mind um, right off the top. One that's just funny that I also saw at, at Tribeca Film Festival this year is um, In Competition with um, Penelope Cruz and, uh, and Antonio Manderas. It's, that's just, it's just wacky. And if you're in the film business, it's, it's about, it's essentially about these three characters who are making a movie together. And it's, it's very eccentric and, and just fun. Um, I really enjoyed that recently. Um, I, every time I get asked to like name certain things, my mind goes blank, but I will, I will send you I'm sure more. as soon as we hang up, you'll like have a list oh, that pops into your I'll, I'll text you and be like, oh, I just remembered all of these. Yes. And I, I like I said, I, I can add them in post-production. Like I can be like, oh, Katya sent me a whole list. Let me read out all these titles. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, and perfect, perfect. I'm going to write out that list. Do you want people to follow okay. you on social media at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... The social media platform that I probably use most is Instagram. I'm just at uh, katya.martin, uh, K-A-T-Y-A dot M-A-R-T-I-N. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but honestly, I'm I'm still figuring Twitter out. Uh, you can give me a pity follow if you want. <laughs> um, it's, uh, Twitter is at katya double underscore martin also. 
Um, I also just joined TikTok, which has been mm-hmm. a bit of a funny uh, learning experience, but that's the same same handle. TikTok will as, take up as, a lot of your time. Yeah. Let me tell you, it's like seeing so many like small creatives like doing like their own thing, especially like non-film and TV people, like mm-hmm. just like doing some expression in there. Like it, I I haven't been on TikTok in like two weeks just because I've been doing my own busy <laughs> thing outside. But Good. like sometimes Good. I'll be <laughs> there like three hours just going through TikToks. And I'm like, one more, just one more. And then I'll be there for two more hours. Yeah, and then seven hours later, yeah. Yeah, it's like that SpongeBob it's, meme, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I made a TikTok because I, several people were like, you have to get on TikTok. And I was like, I, I don't really have a lot to say. I don't, I don't know. But then I was like, you know, I don't, I used to edit a lot and I yeah. haven't been, I don't really edit much anymore. And so I thought, oh, why don't, I should get it as more of just like a practice. Like I'll just, I'll just find ways to like edit little videos and it'll just keep me kind of on my toes in terms of like timing and editing. And then I found out that the thing has a feature where you just upload like five one minute videos and it cuts it all together and puts a song to it and puts it on the beat for you and and makes you a 30 second video on its own. I was like, oh, well this, (laughs) there goes that. Yeah uh tiktok um, that's wild I, I it's like so overwhelmingly confusing but also so easy to use at the same time like but yeah. like if kids can make them then sometimes i feel like paralyzed by like <laughs> how to make one of these and it, then like i see like these like 11 year olds making their tiktoks and i'm like look at them um but again uh i'm so appreciative of the time you gave and i really enjoyed this conversation and uh, it was great catching up with you and hearing everything you had to say because I think this is an important conversation that hopefully is just like something that we'll continue to have in the industry as a whole. Um, so thank you so much. No, thank you. This was this is such a pleasure. It's good to see you. I feel like ninety nine percent of the times that I would see you, you always had to have a mask on yeah. um, because of COVID. So this is, I think, the longest time I've actually got to just talk to you face to face, which is lovely. Um, yeah, so thank no, you so much for bringing I, I had a great me time. on. there you have it folks isn't she great katya is fantastic uh uh you can follow her on social media like you said keep your eyes out for her because she's going to do phenomenal things now uh just as we always wrap things up here on the brazilian dragon podcast let me continue to tell you what we have going on on this network generally we speak about late 90s 2000s uh throwback content as i call it uh capture that nostalgic vibe that you had from your childhood right we have a Scooby-Doo podcast, Scooby Snacks and Chats. Actually, we should get back on that because there was some Scooby-Doo uh, casting news lately and also some big breaking news that if you're a big Scooby-Doo fan, you didn't see it as breaking. But we'll revive the Scooby Snacks and Chats podcast shortly to discuss all that. Uh, High School Musical, the musical series podcast, uh, Total Drama Island podcast. Again, thank you so much to Sam and Autumn for letting me focus my craft on the Si Se Puede series. Uh, it means a lot to me that you let me do that. Uh, And then we're going to get into some Halloween stuff this month. Uh, It is spooky season. Uh, My friend Kate and I, every year we talk about the Halloween Town franchise. And this year we're wrapping it up with Return to Halloween Town. The one that some of us don't consider canon because it's not Kimberly J. Brown. But we're going to have a great time talking about it. So keep your eyes peeled for that. As well as a Halloween special that I have in mind. Plus, hopefully Return to the Neo Movies this month with the great AJ Norris. Now, um, otherwise, you can follow the Brazilian Dragon on all social media at Brazil Dragon Pod. Uh, that's the best way to keep in touch with what we're doing. We have an Instagram page where we post every episode, as well as the Twitter page. If you want to see as soon as an episode drops, it will t- uh, make a tweet about it. So that's uh, something if you want to keep up to date with the Brazilian Dragon podcast. If you want to follow me, Felipe, you can follow me at What the Fleep on all social media. But most importantly, it would mean a lot to me if you would give me a rate interview on Apple Podcasts, uh, especially the reviews. Uh, they help SEO people discover this project um, and this podcast network. And it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a little review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and thank you in advance if you choose to do so. Now, we also have a Phineas and Ferb podcast that's not on this specific feed, but you can check that out. It's What You're Doing with my friends Will and Navi, who have been tremendous support behind the scenes with this project. Uh, So I want to thank them as well. Now, before we wrap things up, I want to make a little bit of an announcement. So I've had a great time this month. Obviously, the day you're listening to this, it could be as early as Friday, October 7th. 
It could be any time after. Like, it could be in three years from now. But I am really enjoying this project, and I love talking to Latine creatives and uh, people who have been a part of stories on American TV that are Latine and Hispanic. So it won't be as frequent as how we're doing this. It won't be the sole focus of the Brazilian Dragon Podcast, but I want to keep the series going. So if I am able to bring you uh, additional interviews about this topic. It's a very important topic to me and something that I've been uh, saying throughout this series is that this is a conversation that is not just important for the months that we have the available listenership, like people are willing to listen to us on Hispanic and Latina Heritage Month, but it's a conversation that needs to happen year-round. So that's why I am choosing to continue this project whenever I'm able to bring an interview of the sorts and continue this conversation keep it going but that doesn't mean we'll be done yet we still have a couple interviews lined up for the rest of this month and even potentially after like through the rest of october for sure and then i want to keep this going whenever possible uh if i am able to bring an interview of this nature so look out for a upcoming si se puede specific feed now i'm not a graphic designer if you are a graphic designer and you have ideas about what we can do logo wise i'm happy to Hear them out. You can email me, Felipe at BrazilianDragonPodcast.com, because I am not talented at the graphic design. As you can see, I did some clip art magic for this Brazilian Dragon logo, which I love. I hold dear to my heart, but it's not the most fancy looking logo. It's literally just a couple images clipped on to this background. So if you are interested in this, especially if you're a Latine creative and you want uh, to work together, I want to amplify Latine voices as well with any platform that I can. So Uh, feel free to reach out either there or on the social medias. Now, until next time, we have a couple great interviews lined up, and I don't want to tease any of them because I want you all to be excited uh, by the next episode, but I'm excited about what is coming up. So, Now, as always, I like to end with a pop culture plug that is Latine or Hispanic. Um, I mentioned Vivo. That's going to be actually our outro song. But uh, Encanto was another animated movie that talks a lot about uh, Latine, the Latine experience. It's a Colombian feature uh, focus uh, film in uh, from Disney. Uh, you've probably heard many of the songs. We Don't Talk About Bruno, of course, blew up on TikTok. Uh, you probably might have even heard the Megan Thee Stallion rap from the Oscars. Uh, and But if you haven't seen it yet, I highly urge you to watch it and also listen to the soundtrack. Give a lot of these Latine uh, singers and artists uh, some listens, especially as uh, we're ending the month in about a week's time. So uh, check it out, rewatch it. I think the uh, Bruno counts as spooky season stuff. Uh, I think he's in Disney parks as a character for this month. So anyways, until next time, everyone, si se puede, echa palante. The plan was two of us next thing you know the two of us are floating drifting somewhere new she said we take a shortcut i'm trying to be a good sport but i don't see how we make it through remember the size of the world before it was you and i just 